You guys be seated this morning. So I've got a question for you. Um, how many of you filled out a bracket for March Madness this year? All right. Um, how many of you filled out a bracket simply because there was a billion dollars on the line? Anybody? Okay, I'm going to be honest. I filled out a bracket this year because a billion dollars was on the line. Um, I'm not a basketball guy by nature. I love March Madness. I love the tournament. Um, but I, there's nothing in regular season basketball, college basketball at least, that like, gets me going. I love going to games. But it's just not my thing. And so this year, um, I, I sat down and I filled out my first bracket um, because I had some friends that were doing the billion-dollar thing, and we were all in this group together. And so I decided, all right, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fill out a bracket. And so then I got to thinking about it, right? I filled out my bracket. I submitted it online, and I got to thinking about my bracket. And the, and the thing with a bracket is, is a bracket is a prediction, right? And you base your predictions uh, that are in your bracket about all of the basketball games that are happening during the NCAA men's basketball tournament, you base it on the perceived framework of the world in which you live, right? I mean, I based all of my picks based on the world in which I live and the rules which I know about basketball and college sports. And so my bracket lasted approximately 39 minutes and 55 seconds. That's when the framework that I had about the world in which I live was turned upside down by Dayton, who beat Ohio State. Okay, that was bad, right? That's bad. That's bad. Okay. Fast forward a little bit further. Um, a little bit later on in the tournament, same round, right? What happens? 11 seed, Duke, um, 11 seed Mercer, right? 14 seed Mercer? 14 seed Mercer upsets number one seed Duke, who I not only had winning that round, but winning the whole thing. Me and 50% of America had Duke winning the whole thing because the world in which we live says that Duke beats Mercer and Ohio State will always beat Dayton, right? Right? That's the world in which we live. The problem is that we live in a world that doesn't always play by the rules, the framework that we've constructed isn't always true to the experience that we have in life. We know this, right? That's why Mercer can beat Duke and, and Dayton can beat Ohio State. Now, what does all that have to do with Scripture? <laughs> That's really the question, isn't it? Well, the story that we're dealing with this morning comes uh, from John chapter 9. And um, it is John chapter 9, actually. It, it's the whole chapter. Um, so if you have your Bibles, we're not going to any other passage this morning besides John chapter 9. We're going to be camping out there um, with Jesus, who's traveling down the road. And so we're going to be looking at John 9, starting at verse 1, going all the way to verse 41. Okay, can you bear with me on this? This will not be as bad as it sounds. I promise. Don't hold me to it. Okay. <laughs> so we're looking at John chapter 9. And uh, in John chapter 9, you have Jesus um, who has this interaction with a man who was born blind. And here's how the story goes. John chapter 9, verse 1. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. This man was born blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, you got to understand something real quick. The disciples are working with a framework in their mind about how God works. They have this preconceived notion about how God acts in the world and what's wrong with humanity. So they have this mindset of if somebody is sick or hurting or tired or lonely, 
it has to do with faithfulness, and it has to do with sin. So the disciples, with this sort of pre-filled out bracket about how God is supposed to work and how the rules work in the world, ask Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? But Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened, this man was born blind, so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, Jesus says, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, Jesus spit on the ground, which sounds gross already, right? He makes some mud with the saliva, getting grosser. And he put that mud, that clay, on this man's eyes. And then he says, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. It's a miracle story, right? This man who was born blind meets Jesus along the road. Jesus says, this man was born this way so that the power of God can be displayed through his life. Jesus spits on the ground, makes mud, puts on the guy's eyes, says, go to the pool, wash. The man does it. He comes back, and he can see. What starts off as a theological controversy ends up with a miracle. The question that the disciples asked, who sinned this man or his parents, it, it really seems like an innocent question, but if you think about it, these disciples are really doing something that's pretty theologically dangerous. What they're doing is they're attributing all of their physical and emotional and economic well-being to their own right standing with God. They believe that the issue at hand for this man who was born blind is an issue of sin and an issue of faithfulness. Somebody, either him or his parents, sinned, and that made him this way. Now, if you read Scripture... You can highlight some verses in Exodus and throughout the Old Testament that talk about the sins and iniquities of the previous generation being visited, visited on the third and the fourth and even the fifth generation. You can read it in Exodus. It's right there in the text. That this is what happens, that sin is passed from father to son to son to son to daughter to son. That this is how the world works. This is what was taught to these Jewish men who were with Jesus. But Jesus says, listen, you've got a messed up understanding. That's not always how the world works. Guys, have you read Job lately? You guys remember the story of Job, right? Job is the most faithful man that there is. He worships God. He's blameless before God. And what happens to Job? He loses everything, right? At the end of the day, at the end of one day, Job finds himself sitting on a pile of potsherds, isn't that a great, broken clay pottery. He's lost all of his livestock. He's lost his entire family. His wife has cursed him and spit on him and left him. And he's covered from head to toe in boils. And he's sitting on these clay pots and he's scraping the boils on his... That sounds painful, doesn't it? This guy was faithful. He wasn't a sinner. In fact, the, the issue that the disciples bring up here is the same issue that Job's friends bring up. Surely you must have sinned to be in this condition. This is what happens to sinners, guys. They're born blind. They get covered with boils and lose everything. Well, that's only true until it's not true. And it's not true here. 
in this case. The problem with that sort of thinking is that faithfulness is all about looking good and being good and making sure that all of your needs are taken care of. But Jesus, he says, listen, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to understand something. That even if you are faithful, there are going to be times when you're going to be persecuted. There are going to be times whenever you suffer and you have the full weight of the the political powers and the economic powers and the military powers on top of you. You're going to feel the pain and the burden of being my disciple. So Jesus, he's confronting the disciples' way of thinking when he tells him that neither this man nor his parents sinned. He's rearranging the rules. You see, God has a purpose for all of us. Now hear me, I'm not saying that God has a purpose for a child being born blind or a child or anyone having any sort of handicap. But the truth is, no matter what your situation in life is, God has a plan and a purpose for you and can work that plan and purpose in your life wherever you are, whatever hardship it is that you may be facing. You might not have been born blind, but you might be under a pile of debt or you might be under the stress and strain of being a single parent or you might be under the stress and strain of losing a job or having a sickness or having a disease that may or may not have a cure. In life, you're going to have struggles and sometimes, in fact, most of the times, those struggles have nothing to do with how faithful you are. They have nothing to do with how faithful you are. Jesus is saying, listen guys, you want to put God inside of a box and say that God only works this way. When the truth is, God is going to do something incredible and powerful through this man. God is going to let his power be displayed through this man's life. What does that mean? What does that mean for something to be on display? Well, if something is on display, you take it and you put it out for the world to see, right? You put it out so that not just a few people see it, but the whole world sees it. Um, in our house, we have things that are on display. Do you have things that are on display in your house? Things that you are not to ever touch? Husbands? Children? You know what I'm talking about? So for some of you, it's china, right? There's a china cabinet that's filled to the brim with all sorts of silver and all sorts of crystal and all sorts of porcelain. And they are not there. All of that stuff is not there to be used. It's there to be shown, right? It's on display for the world. Don't touch it. It's there on display. In our house, the thing that we have on display is, is my daughter's, uh, both of my daughter's baptismal gown. We have it framed, and it's, it's like super glued and fixed to the wall. Don't touch it. <laughs> Don't move it. It's on display. We want the world to see that our daughters are baptized and that this is important. And so God, God puts his power on display through the life of this man who was born blind. Jesus says he's going to show his power through this man who was born blind. And what we have from here on in this chapter are Pharisees and parents and neighbors dealing with the transformation that happens in this man's life. Throughout the rest of John chapter 9, people are dealing with the ramifications of the fact that this man who was born blind had this interaction with Jesus that radically reoriented his life, that radically changed his life, that set him on a new course and a new way of being. That's what the rest of John chapter 9 is about. So the first group that this man born blind has to deal with are his neighbors. So look at verse 8. It says, His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, 
isn't this the same man he used to sit and beg, this blind man? We've seen him before, right? He used to sit and beg outside the gates. Some claim that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself, the blind man himself, insisted, I am the man. In fact, he's not blind anymore. He's the seeing guy. I am that man. Well, how were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud. It was gross. He put it on my eyes. And he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know. I don't know, says the once born blind, now seeing man. The blind man's neighbors react to the change in his life with skepticism. They don't believe that he could actually be or now have sight. I mean, people born blind don't just miraculously get sight. That doesn't happen. And certainly it couldn't be the case that this man, who used to sit outside of the gates, could have sight now, right? That couldn't be the case. We, we've seen him. You can't be him because you can see and he can't see. Sometimes, as followers of Christ, sometimes as human beings, we are guilty of only seeing people for their deficiencies. You know, this story, whenever you go through your Bible and you open it up and there's a heading there, it's the healing of the man born blind, where Jesus heals a blind man. It's never the story of a once blind man or a man who now has sight, right? It's all, we always look for the deficiencies and def- the defects in a person. We always look for what's going on and what's wrong with them. And whenever something changes and something is rearranged and some profound change happens, we are the last to believe, right? I know lots of people growing up who were profoundly affected by Jesus Christ. In college, folks I went to the Wesley Foundation with here at Georgia Southern, whose lives were profoundly affected by Jesus Christ. And their best friends, their family, the people who knew them the best, were the last ones to believe that God could ever do something incredible in their heart or in their life. Their friends and family were the last ones to believe that, that they had a call to ministry. Some of my best friends from, from high school and college were the last ones to believe that I had a call to go and be a pastor, to go and be a teacher and a preacher. Because they are, people always tend to see you for the way that you were. But the truth is, whenever you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, especially a powerful encounter with Jesus Christ, and your life has been changed, people have a hard time dealing with it. When Jesus' life intersects your life, things are changed. And when that change is dynamic, when that change rearranges your life and your priorities, people are going to have questions. They're going to wonder if that's really you. This is the point that Jesus was trying to make to Nicodemus just a few weeks ago. That when we accept new life in Christ, everything changes. For this man, it meant that he went from being blind to having sight. Others of us, we walk away from the life that we used to know. We walk away from old habits. We walk away from old friends. We walk away from old relationships that hold us back and keep us from having God's power displayed in and through our lives. We walk away from all of those things. I know that was the case for my life. By the time I actually gave my life to Christ, I had worn out the carpet between my parents' pew 
and the altar rail. And even after I'd given my life to Christ, there were still people who wondered if it really would stick. But we can't let people's surprise and people's skepticism about what God's doing in our heart and life get in the way of our own faithfulness. Take a look at verse 13. They, that means the man's neighbors, uh, they really don't believe. So they bring the man to the Pharisees. Um, now, the day on which Jesus had made mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. It was a, it was a Saturday. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. You know, God, don't, God doesn't work on Saturdays, is what they're saying. Uh, on the seventh day, God rested, and Saturday's the seventh day, and so God doesn't work on Saturdays, is what the Pharisees are saying. And if he's from God, he surely wouldn't have been working on Saturday. But others asked, how in the world can a sinner perform such signs? So the group was divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What do you have to say about him? It was your eyes that were opened. Can you imagine the feeling that, that seeing now seeing man must have had whenever this group of Pharisees, after debating back and forth about whether God could work on Saturday or uh, who could perform such a sign as a man being born blind, finally having sight. Can you imagine the whole crowd sort of turning and looking at this now seeing man and saying, well, what do you think? What do you know about him? What do you know of this man named Jesus? Who is this man? The man replied, he's a prophet. Now Jesus, in this man's mind, has gone from being just some guy, the man that did this, to now he sees Jesus as a prophet, one who's acting as an agent on God's behalf. He's gone from just being a regular guy to being a prophet. So where the, the man's friends, his neighbors, responded with shock and skepticism, the Pharisees, they show utter disbelief. They can't believe what this man is saying. God only works in these certain ways. Sure, God can do great things, but he doesn't do them on Saturday. God doesn't work that way. Mercer doesn't upset Duke. There are some things that God just won't do. Have you heard that before? There are some things that God just won't do. These people believe that since this man was a sinner, that God would never heal him. A blind man must be a sinner, right? The Pharisees, they believe, just like the disciples, that their prosperity was how God displayed God's power in this world. And their self-righteousness, their self-righteousness made them blind to just who it was who healed the blind man. Jesus couldn't have been the son of God. He couldn't even be a prophet because he's healing on the Sabbath. Ultimately, these Pharisees, they choose not to believe. Jump back in at verse 18. They still did not believe that this man had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. All right, so now you've got neighbors who are dealing with who Jesus is and what's happened. You've got Pharisees dealing with who Jesus is and what's happened. And now they've called for this man's parents, his mom and his dad, to come and show up. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it now that he can see? I love the parents' response here, right? They don't want to be associated with their son because of what's happened in his heart and what's in his life, right? So what do they say? 
We know that he is our son, the parents answered. And we know that he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. (laughs) Sort of like, ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents, they said this. Because they were afraid that they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, He's of age, ask him. In other words, don't ask us, ask him. These parents, they they may have believed that Jesus was the Son of God, but they are so afraid of what will happen if they acknowledge that truth for themselves that they're unwilling to answer the question. They put it all back on him. Go back, ask our son. He can tell you the truth about this man. So a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Verse 24, give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know that this man is a sinner. He replied, whether this man is a sinner or not, I don't know. There is one thing that I do know, the man says. I was once blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open his eye? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? You like that insult snuck in there? Do you want to become his disciples? He's done this great thing for me. Do you want to become his disciple? I've received something, now I'm going to sow it. Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him. You are this fellow's disciple, and we are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this guy, we don't know where he comes from. The man answered, this now seeing, once blind man, now answered. Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind, if this man, this is the blind man speaking, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And this just sets the Pharisees off. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth, how dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Now when it says they threw him out, that doesn't mean they kicked him out of the room. What it means is they excommunicated him from the community. God had done something so powerful and so incredible in the life of this man born blind that he's kicked out because the community can't see, these leaders in the community can't see how God could ever work that way. Here's the incredible thing in verse 35. It says, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out And when he found him, Jesus had to go and find him. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I can believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one who is speaking with you. The man says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see. And those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees were nearby and heard this. And he said to him, surely we're not the ones born blind, right? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, 
you would not have sin. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. Too many of us have filled out our brackets based on, we know, on how we know that God works in this world. Too many of us have written people off, pushed them aside, sent them out from the community because we don't believe that they're worthy of being a part or that God could do anything with somebody like them. Y'all, our God, our God carves rotten wood. Our God is a God who can take the broken and the lost and the hurting and the least of these, the blind and the diseased and even the dead, and put his power and might on display through their life. So the question for us this morning, the question that we all have to wrestle with, is have we put God in a box so narrow that his power can't be on display? in the world around us? Have we put God in a box so narrow and so tight that we can't believe that God could still do miracles? Have we put God in a box and shut the lid? Because what God did in the past, he can never do today, right? Wrong. God can take blind and broken and hurting people like you and like me and change the world and change the world and we only have to be willing to allow our understanding of who God is to grow that's what happened to the blind man isn't it the first thing he calls Jesus is just a man then he calls him a prophet then he calls him the son of God His faith was growing, and it allowed him to see God working in his world in an incredible way. This morning, you're invited to experience a miracle among us, God's presence gathered with us in this community as we come to this table to receive Holy Communion. I want to remind you that no matter who you are, that no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter whether you're a member of this church or any church, that you are invited to experience God's grace for yourself. Just like the blind man who received sight. Just like the woman at the well. And even just like Nicodemus who came around to having faith. You're invited no matter who you are. Would you hear these words of invitation this morning?